trying to drink less alcohol, but need some extra motivation. Maybe you've tried moderation, but you keep waking up disappointed and hungover. Are you curious about sober life? Or maybe you're like us, have been alcohol free for a while and are in it for the long haul. Well, you're in the right place. I'm Meg. And I'm Bella. And our Not Drinking Today podcast is an invaluable resource to keep you motivated and on track today and beyond. We are This Naked Mind certified coaches who live in Sydney and love our alcohol-free life. And last but not least, if you enjoy the content of our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe and share it. It really is integral to getting the podcast out to those that might need it. So grab a cuppa and let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Drinking Today podcast. And with me today, I have Emma Bardwell. Emma is a registered nutritionist, a health writer, and an author of The Perimenopause Solution. Now, obviously, this is my second menopause guest. I'm having a, you know, I am interested in menopause and with good reason, I think, because most, you know, half the world's female. Uh, And I've reached out to Emma, who is full of information, and I'm really excited to have her on today. So welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. And I think, you know, this is the menopause conversation can run and run and run. I think there has been a lot of times now where we haven't been so open about it. Um, So the more conversation and the more discussion that we're having, the better. Yeah, totally. We agree. Well, can we start uh, with a bit about your story, Emma? Yeah. So I went into perimenopause, which is that kind of the lead up to menopause um, around the age of 42. So at that time, what I didn't really know was that that's actually quite normal. You know, the, 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 the perimenopause um, period can be up to 10 years before, you know, your, your, your final period ever. So a, a decade, even 12 years is not unheard of. Uh, but when I tried to kind of seek help about it with my GP, they were very dismissive when I talked about perimenopause, saying I was far too young, it definitely wasn't happening, you know, and trying to put it down to lots of other things. And I think perhaps that isn't something that I that, that women are prepared for. And that's kind of one of the main reasons why I wrote my book, The Perimenopause Solution, because I want younger women to be aware of what is going to happen, because it happens to all of us, as you alluded to in your intro. Um, And I also wanted women to feel prepared for this stage, because I think that with the right kind of strategies and tools in your toolkit, actually, it doesn't have to be that you feel like you're falling off a cliff, which is what a lot of women, you know, that's how a lot of women do feel when it finally does happen. Mm. I think mainly because they don't know what's going to happen and they haven't got um, those kind of tools, uh, you know, in order to kind of deal with it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, you know, you said you were 42 and it is so brushed off, you know. I think we almost joke about it. Oh, you're too young, you know even together with friends. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. So I had Dr. Rebecca Lewis on recently and she said it was a 10, it could be up to 10 years sort of process, which was quite um, mind blowing for me. I didn't realize it was that long. And um, I've 
I've told my listeners probably know that I sort of hit menopause at 46, so I just turned 50. And um, it was, it just was very sudden. So I don't know. I kind of think maybe it was alcohol related, but it could also have been I had depression at the time. I lost a lot of weight. I'm not really sure. Um, but I certainly wasn't aware before that of being in perimenopause. But when I look back, there are so many things that could be explained by that. Or, um, you know, even I've read that just having that um, lull, feeling low, um, you know, I definitely, well, I got depression, you know, and I've never had that before. And um, I don't know if that's a common thing, but I, looking back, I, I definitely was drinking because I felt so low and then the cycle continues. Yeah, I mean, forty-five is the average age of perimenopause, so it's it's totally within you know it's it's not an outlandish kind of idea to uh, for that to happen. And I think, like your experience, I, I see that a lot in clinic with lots of women. The kind of the psychological side of the symptoms isn't really talked about enough. And I think a lot of women can feel very isolated. They start to withdraw from their friends. Um, they put it down to lots of different things, but they don't always connect it with hormones. They think that it's just life, that it's, you know, stress, it's work, it's juggling lots of different things, which we invariably are in middle age. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do see a very common pattern with women kind of using alcohol as a crutch. And I think it kind of it takes the edge off all of those symptoms um, and sometimes it can actually mask them. So I think for a lot of women, they don't even notice what is happening because mm. they're spending half of their life either kind of inebriated or, um, you know, hung over and, and, and trying to kind of recover from that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, some of the hangover symptoms are, you know, this, well, you put it down to that. And for me, I certainly drank far too much during that time. And so I was masking symptoms. Uh, once I stopped, I had actually a really terrible leg pain and it was like um, it had swapped legs. It, it, I think it's like restless leg is what I kind of researched. And the doctors were just like, oh, it's unexplained pain, fibromyalgia. So <laughs> nothing was done. And it was only with my looking into things that I came across some menopause symptoms that weren't so common. And I thought, oh, I think I've been masking that, you know, and the agony I was in once I stopped drinking because of that, I was worried I wasn't going to be able to walk properly again. It's really interesting isn't it? because what uh, alcohol actually depletes a lot of vitamins. So mm. particularly the B vitamins, um, mm. And also things like vitamin D and magnesium. And when you are depleted um, in magnesium, especially, you can get things like cramps and restless legs. So, you know, it's it's highly likely that, that there would have been that kind of link. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely got into the magnesium. And the thing is, though, when I was still drinking, I was really... I was kind of health conscious, which is ironic because, you know, the amount I was drinking was not healthy in any way, shape or form, but I was always conscious of my health. I think I always have been. 
but I just don't think I would have, you know, so I'd have magnesium occasionally or or whenever I remembered, which wasn't so often. Um, but whatever I was doing was not going to be helping because, like you said, I was depleting it, it anyway by the alcohol intake. And so, you know, this is the thing, all the symptoms in middle age and which might be from um, drinking too much and then depleting or it might be menopause or it might be something else. It's all similar-ish. I think, you know, you can, a lot of the symptoms are similar. Yeah, it's really hard, I think, for women, particularly if they're in the throes of perimenopause um, and they're feeling exhausted and fatigued and kind of wrung out and really stressed and they're not sleeping. It's really hard to untangle what is hormones and what is just life. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I start working with women, I often get them before we do anything uh, to do some kind of baseline blood testing, which is really helpful. So first of all, I get them to check their thyroid because a lot of um, thyroid dysfunction symptoms can mimic those of perimenopause. So weight gain, you know, brain fog, anxiety, palpitations, thinning hair. And I will also get them to check their iron levels. So lots of women um, start to have very heavy periods in perimenopause and their iron levels can be very depleted. And actually, if they've had children, a lot of times they haven't actually got their um, iron levels kind of replete after pregnancy. So they've been, you know, living life with these really low iron levels for some time. And again, that can make you incredibly fatigued. It can make your hair fall out. Um, It can affect your skin. It can make your skin itchy. Um, It can affect your sleep. So, you know, these are kind of really simple things that once you know what your levels are, it can then be really helpful to turn them around. And the other ones are vitamin D, folate, B12, all of these things you can get checked out with your GP. Mm, Yeah, yeah. So really important that you go to the GP as well and, you know, yeah, get the testing. Not to, you know, we don't assume it's menopause. We don't assume it's just a hangover, that kind of thing. Um, Get everything checked out. I definitely know I was lacking in certain nutrients and vitamins and, um, gosh, I could feel that once I stop drinking. Um, but I think it's just quite incredible that for the amount of people going through this, there's just not a lot of information out there. And um, you were just saying before we went on air that over in the UK, there's quite a lot of um, talk about it happening now. Is that what you were yeah. saying? We, yeah. I, I think in the UK we're kind of at the forefront of this big um, reframing, I think, of, of So, yeah, there are lots of celebrities coming out and talking about their own experiences. Mm -hmm. There is talk in government about changing policies, um, particularly in the workplace. There's still a lot of work to be done. But, yeah, there's definitely the the tide is is definitely turning, um, thankfully, because for too long, you know, the whole subject of menopause has kind of been shrouded in and and shame and, and and quite a lot of stigma and we really do need to chip away at that and, and I think we are doing that but there is still quite a lot of work to be done yeah yeah no that's really great though that you know it's happening starting to happen I just feel really passionate about it too because at this sort of middle age of life you know women in the, well these days have the job have the kids you know we do it all and like you said even after 
uh, having children, we might not have ever got back to a balance or a healthy balance. But, you know, it's to me it just um, there's so many things we're going through that to me I'd reach for a drink because of. And so I just think it's so important to have the understanding of what can be going on rather than people reaching for a drink because this is the time in life where drinking can increase. Uh, it does in, you know, with women um, because of these things, you know, and and it's easy to just numb out. But I, f- I feel like if we can get the word out more, you know, go to the GP, ask, talk about menopause, ask for these tests, it might avoid uh, – you know, people might avoid then drinking to cover this up and anything we can do to stop people drinking too much, I feel is going to be really helpful. So, and, and there's just not enough about menopause out there when it's something we're all going through or going to go through. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of talk about pregnancy, but not everybody has a baby, but every single woman will go through this at some stage and yeah, we, we need to kind of take away that that secrecy um, and also shame. And I and I think it's very similar, actually, with drinking. I think a lot of women feel very shameful, you know, mm-hmm. very ashamed mm-hmm. of the fact that they can't cope and that, that they are kind of overly using alcohol as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they're not kind of addressing the fact that it is starting to take over their lives to a degree and I think a lot of women actually can you know they they've they they build up this kind of tolerance with alcohol and they start to function actually quite well but behind the scenes mm. it's 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 really kind of impacting their mood their sleep their mm. relationships their their identity their self-esteem mm. um so yeah I, I I we definitely don't talk about alcohol enough um, and the fact that it can be so detrimental. I think there's this real kind of, oh, you know, almost comical, oh, it's it's mummy's wine time, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that kind of side of things. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's potentially a real issue. Mm-hmm. So do you see clients that um, you think maybe have masked their symptoms with alcohol or? Yeah, I mean, I, I do see a lot of women who – are very reluctant because I get them to do a food diary and, you know, they tell me everything that they're eating and drinking. They are really happy to increase protein, to eat more fruit veg, but they are very reluctant to give up their alcohol. You know, that's the kind of thing that we have a real tussle over. And Mm -hmm. I'm not a killjoy. And I I realize, I recognize that we need to, you know, it could be a, a part of a, of, social interaction and social interaction is really really important at this time um but equally there is giving up or you know minimizing reducing alcohol has so many benefits and those benefits are very often felt very quickly so it's a real kind of quick win um and particularly if women are in the throes of perimenopause and they are really kind of flawed by their symptoms then reducing alcohol is is something that Mm. is pretty high up on the list of things that I ask them to do. Mm. Um, You know, it it can impact your, it it impacts your your estrogen levels from from the get-go. So Mm. it's, of course, it makes sense to, um, you know, to minimise it. It can cause hot flushes and night sweats. It gives you palpitations. It's very... um, 
it's kind of part and parcel of those mood swings that we can often feel depression anxiety it Mm. suppresses our central nervous system it is a depressant it's also a carcinogen and you know lots of women are kind of very reluctant to think about hormone therapy to, Mm. to take hrt um, but they but they're not kind of uh considering the fact that the their their regular intake of wine each night is severely increasing their risk of breast cancer you know that's mm. a given um not mm. a given as it but but it, it certainly yeah. increases that that likelihood um so it's definitely something to be thinking about mm. yeah yeah and and it's funny when I heard about HRT I'm like oh I must avoid that but you know bring on the wine it's it's ironic what I would put in my body and then say no to, you know. Um, and I was just thinking back when you were talking about um, just before about how we all, you know, girls and women go through this. But when you're a girl, oh, you're talking about pregnancy and how everyone, you know, talks about it, knows about it. And when we were young, your first period, I mean, some people had parties for that. Um, personally, I'd rather didn't, but... <laughs> You know, I'm like, oh, this is awful. But it it's almost like as soon as that happened, it's like, oh, well, that's why you feel like this. It's okay. You need a day in bed. You're moody. You you feel a lot of pain. And that's very accepted because we know it's a really um, your hormones are going crazy, but we don't have that at the other end, which you mentioned workplaces are, are looking into it because, of course, it's going to have similar, you know, hormonal issues for women, but it's just yeah. not treated the same. It's crazy. I, yeah, I, I often liken menopause to kind of puberty, but in reverse. Um, and, mm. yeah, you're right. We, are, we give teenagers, you know, lots of dispensation. You know, it's mm. like, yeah, stay in bed, look after yourself. Yeah. We, we kind of look after them, don't we? Yeah. Um, but the same, the, the, that same kind of attention and care mm. isn't given to mm. perimenopausal and menopausal women. And it really, really does need to be. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned shame and everything. And I think that that's true. You know, I don't, and I don't know if it's shame, but I would never say to someone, I'm having a few extra hours in bed. I feel really hormonal. I think it's menopause. You know, it's not, it's just different. Um, but thankfully the conversation is getting, getting louder. Well, yeah. And talk about you know it sounds a little bit trite but putting them putting the me in menopause as in we're very good at looking after everybody else and quite often we get shunted down the list but actually really do you know this is the critical time to be looking at our mental health our physical health um and really starting to uh you know think about self-care um mm. because this this really is the time when we need to be looking at how we want the the the, the next three four decades potentially to look. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned um, alcohol affecting estrogen. So, can you just explain a bit more about that? Yeah. So, because alcohol is um, metabolized in the liver, mm-hmm. and so is um, estrogen to you know to right. a degree. Actually, when you are when your liver is taken up with the breaking down of um, alcohol, it means that it impacts the um, 
the levels of, of, of hormones, not just estrogen, but also progesterone, and testosterone in your body. So that's why, you know, there is a link between, let's say, well, things that we often call Eastern dominant types of uh, conditions. So things like fibroids, there seems to be a link between fibroids and estrogen. There seems to be a link between um, breast cancer and estrogen so you know anything that we can do in order to help that um the liver to to kind of metabolize those hormones is really really important yeah yeah right and so just speaking of um estrogen uh i learned a lot about hrt in the last podcast i did about this and it was really interesting because i think i did have a preconceived idea that it was bad and Dr. Lewis explained that there was something that came out years ago that scared people, but it wasn't actually the right facts. Um, what what do you think of HRT? Yeah, so I am very pro HRT for the right person, for the right, you know, I, I think it can be incredibly helpful. And for lots of women, it can actually be life-changing, um, particularly if you are, if they are suffering from things like hot flushes. Um, you know, it really can improve lives dramatically. So, yeah, we, we need to ha- be talking about hormone therapy a lot more um, mm-hmm. and we need to kind of stop scaring women too. You know, this mm-hmm. um, the Women's Health Initiative, which is the study that you're um, referring to, mm-hmm. it came up 20 years ago and it's been largely, uh, you know, it's been completely debunked. Mm-hmm. Um was using a kind of hormone therapy that we simply don't use anymore. Um, it was uh, based on much older women. And so, yeah, w- w- the whole kind of um, the, the preparations that we use now are completely different. So, yes, absolutely, hormone therapy can be a really invaluable tool for, for women to kind of have in their toolkit. There's lots of talk about it here, and I think that's probably filtering down through now into, you know, Australia mm. and the States. Um, there's almost what's happening, though, is the kind of pendulum is swinging so much in in t- towards the talk of HRT and, and hormone therapy here that what's happening is we're kind of forgetting to talk about the the fundamentals that everyone can do because not every woman can take or wants to take um, hormone therapy. But I do think that every woman should know about lifestyle, exercise, Mm. sleep, stress reduction, nutrition, you know, those those really are the foundations that I think we should be um, telling women that, you know, and kind of reinforcing that they are extremely powerful they're not just a little kind of fluffy Mm. add-on they really are the Mm. fundamentals I think yeah right and so as a nutritionist what do you recommend to your clients if uh, apart from HRT or yeah what what are the things you recommend yeah, so it's not my job to talk about HRT or recommend it because I'm a nutritionist, not a doctor. So, um, but I can obviously give my opinion to them. Yeah. But it's very much an individualized um, conversation that, that a woman would have to have with her doctor. But in terms of nutrition, it's it's really um, 
working on things like increasing the number of plant foods that women are eating. So, you know, making sure that they're getting enough fiber. Fiber is really good for your digestive health, but it also feeds your good gut bacteria. And there's more and more emerging evidence about the fact that your microbiota, which is this collection of bacteria that lives in your gut, uh, has a really kind of positive knock-on influence with lots of different things, including brain health, um, gut health, obviously your immune function, and even your hormone production. So eat more plants, eat more protein. Lots of women I talk to aren't getting enough, particularly uh, at breakfast time or, or whenever they their kind of first meal is. So lots of women are starting with croissants or toast, um, orange juice, you know, and they're not getting that kind of sustenance. If you eat lots of protein, uh, particularly in your first meal, it sets you up for the day. So it gives you lots of energy. Um, it makes it, it helps to kind of regulate your blood glucose levels. It helps to build muscle. You know, as we get older, we can lose muscle mass. And it can really help with weight maintenance, which is another issue that I see a lot of women complaining about. Um, and, and cravings, you know, particularly for things like sweet foods. Um, calcium is also really important. We have to really think about our bone health at this time. So a lot of women won't be getting enough calcium, particularly if they're not eating dairy. And there's this real kind of movement away from eating dairy, which is fine. You know, a lot of um, a lot of people are worried about uh, the kind of ethical implications. But it just means that if you're taking out dairy, we really need to replace it uh, with you know, fortified plant milks, for example, and really kind of recognizing that you can get calcium from lots of different uh, foods. It doesn't always have to be dairy. Mm. So those are the kind of big ones. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I actually did study nutrition a while ago, just as a nutrition coach. And um, I'm also very passionate about that. So I love hearing about that. I sort of just got lulled into (laughs) listening to what you were saying. Um, you know what I have found interesting, and this is a bit off topic, but there's a lot of people doing fasting now, and that, and I feel like I've always believed it's important to eat regularly, and I, and what you've just said about protein in the morning uh, is reminding me that I've got to, you know, eat better in the morning, basically. But do you, what do you think of fasting? So I think for, I, I don't think there's any uh, research to say that extend, I, you know, I'm talking to lots of people who are t- kind of doing these long, really extended fasts. I, there's no research to say that that's of any benefit. Where where uh, intermittent fasting can be helpful is, is that kind of connection with weight loss. And that's weight loss is, or weight management is probably the number one reason that women come to see me. And it's simply a tool in which you can get into a calorie deficit. So in which you can, you know, reduce the number of calories that you are consuming. So it can be really helpful, but you don't need to do it for these long periods of time. Mm. Usually say something like 16, eight. um, So you're fasting for 16 hours and that's overnight. So much of that you are asleep and you're eating within this kind of eight hour window, but it could be a 10 hour window. It could even be a 12 hour window. The kind of the use that I think it has is that for lots of women, their issue is snacking and it's snacking at night. Mm. So if you're kind of eating within this window, it can help you mentally to kind of have these 
kind of bookends to the day. Mm. I open my eating window, let's say at 11 and I close it at eight. And that means that when you are invariably, I don't know, watching telly and relaxing in the evening, you're less inclined to snack. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I am definitely a nighttime snacker. When you mentioned um, as people coming to see you or or menopause, you know, putting on weight and everything, I know mine's actually related to the sugar I eat. (laughs) It's not just, but then, you know, you said you can crave that. And I think I do get in a cycle of craving the sweet at night and I know I don't need that. You know, I'm, I'm much better off stopping eating, having a big drink of water or a cup of tea or whatever and stopping. I know I feel better for that. Well, that's where I think protein is really helpful and Mm -hmm. and kind of reducing the need for snacking. So if you're eating three big, Mm -hmm. robust, really filling, satiating meals throughout the day, Mm -hmm. actually, you don't need to snack so much. Mm. Um, And I think also, you know, when it flipping around back to alcohol, I think for lots of women, it becomes a crutch almost because it's they kind of get that sugar fix from it, particularly things like wine. Um, you know, it's really high in sugar. It's really high in histamine too, which incidentally, um, you know, lots of, as we get older, we can become slightly less hist- histamine tolerant. And that means that when you start, you know, lots of women will say, God, I've, I've actually become kind of almost allergic to alcohol. Uh, you know, when I have a drink, uh, my eyes start to run, I get really kind of stuffed, uh, blocked up nose, I get really itchy, I, uh, you know, I'm flushing, I've got this kind of uh, facial flushing happening. Um, and a lot of that is actually connected to the histamine that's in particularly wine, but you know, lots of lots of alcohol. Um, so again, you know, I think that's something to be aware of with our relationship with alcohol and alcohol also, you know, it increases your appetite. It means that you are less inclined to make good food choices, not just when you're drinking, but also the next day, because invariably you haven't slept very well. And that can mean that you are kind of looking for that um, quick energy fix, which often comes in the form of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that, um, uh, when I was drinking a vicious cycle and I was just eating crap and then I'd go on a health kick or so I call it, but really it was a health kick with wine. I mean, that's not, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it just to think of, yeah, uh, it just wasn't treating my body very well at all. And interestingly, just more recently, I um, I started having a lot of allergic reactions to things that I wasn't allergic to, like I was getting an itchy throat. And it started a couple, well, when I was drinking a couple of years ago, I started to get itchy. And I think that is the histamine thing you're talking about. And it, even though I gave up alcohol, I think I'd um, become sensitive to things. So I ended up going to the doctor saying, this is ridiculous. I'm taking so many antihistamines and, um, she said it could be histamine. So I gave up some of the food for a few weeks and it, uh, you know, I'm okay now. So really interesting. Yeah. I often describe histamine intolerance. It's almost like you have a bucket and we all have a mm. threshold that stra- that histamine bucket kind of fills up. It can fill up because of certain foods that contain histamine and they are quite often healthy foods. So things like spinach, bananas, you know, um, fermented foods. We're always telling people to eat more fermented food. 
dairy, but also things like alcohol. And as that bucket kind of fills up, um, it then starts to tip over. And that's when we get those uh, symptoms that you were describing. So it's really important to keep emptying your histamine bucket and stress also can, can add to it. So there are certain types of foods. Definitely, I often tell women to keep a food diary so that they can work out what their triggers are, because it's very individual. But there are also certain supplements that you can take. So vitamin C is a natural antihistamine, um, as is uh, quercetin. So I write about it in the book, actually, because I think it's a side of menopause, perimenopause that often doesn't get investigated enough. And I think a lot of women are having these kind of symptoms and they're not putting it down to that because it's just not really uh, very well researched or, or kind of widely discussed. Mm. Oh, it's so interesting. Uh, yeah, funnily enough, I had to give up avocado and tomatoes and things like, for three weeks. I'm thinking this is ridiculous. It's, you know, it um, the healthy foods, whereas it probably all started for me with wine. But can you, can you have you reintroduced them? Yes, yes. And I'm not getting the, the itchy throat. Okay. So. That's brilliant. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, you want a low histamine diet mm. just to kind of reset and recalibrate. Mm. And then actually you can go back to introducing particularly those healthy foods. Yeah, yeah. So I was really into um, sauerkraut and um, kimchi and that, so I had to stop that for a bit. I have, I haven't actually had that for a while. So, but look, avocados were causing major itching throat. So it was, it's, but that's gone now. So, but um, yeah, I just, it's just so interesting. And I think, you know, coming up to this age, as a lot of listeners are um, similar age to me, like, um, you know, 40s, 50s, um, there's just so many things that are changing in our body. And it's so important to look at health and, you know, some people, the people that listen and, well, me particularly, I drank too much. Some of my listeners will be on that journey too. But there's some people that don't and that's totally fine. They can moderate, you know, not I couldn't. Um, but when you're just having too much alcohol, you know, it is masking all these things. And I just think it's so important that we look at the other reasons first, you know, um, and like I say all the time, go to the GP and get the tests. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really nice to talk to you. And I think on your website, I saw some beautiful um, food and recipes have you got up and ideas for breakfast and that. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to try them, uh, you know, the overnight oats. And I think there was one that was, it had walnuts and everything. I thought, oh, that looks so good. But yeah. there's, there's lots of resources on there, aren't there? So I'll put I'll put your website in the yeah. Show notes. There's, there's actually more uh, resources on my Instagram account, which oh, is at yeah. m dot bardwell. Loads of recipes on there. Loads of yeah. advice and tips. Um, because yeah, you know we're all really busy and time poor, mm. and we just want to make life mm. easy with things like batch cooking and just simple recipes that you can ch- mm. chuck together, you know, really quickly. Oh, definitely. I think my biggest trip up is when I I have to make things on the spot. I love being able to batch make things or have things ready for the next morning to go. Um, so that is just also helpful. And I'll put all of your where we can contact you in the show notes. Um, but I think that I, I would love to keep talking. I'm so interested in everything. 
It's just been a real pleasure to hear from you and um, I'm sure all the listeners have enjoyed it too. So thank you for giving us your time, Emma. Megan and thanks for having the you know for kind of getting this conversation out there it's really really needed yeah no I agree I agree and um you know half the world are women so let's talk about it let's talk about yeah. menopause and stick yeah. together you know because I yeah. think there is support to be had from each other super important absolutely yeah thanks so much Emma thank you if you don't already know, in addition to our podcasting work, we are each sobriety coaches with our own separate businesses, helping people to drink less. If you or a loved one want to take a break from alcohol, we invite you to have a look at our individual websites. Meg's is glassfulfilled.com.au and Bella's is isabellaferguson.com.au. So take the next step that feels right for you. don't already know in addition to our podcasting work we are each sobriety coaches with our own separate businesses helping people to drink less if you or a loved one want to take a break from alcohol we invite you to have a look at our individual websites meg's is glassfulfilled.com.au and bella's is isabellaferguson.com.au so take the next step that feels right for you